everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today I'm super excited because we have another Salt Lake 2002 podcast first. Specifically, we're joined by not one, but two guests at the same time, Bob Liggett and Tara Anderson-Warren. Bob and Tara, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We're excited. Well, I'm so excited to have both of you. It's been, well, I, I don't think I've spoken with either of you guys since, since the games ended. So it's been 18 years probably since we had a conversation. Oh, my goodness. So Bob and Tara, um, what are you guys up to these days? What do you, where do you live? What are you working on? Well, um, I live in Ogden, Utah, just at the base of the mountains. And uh, different from when I was at Slock and single, I am married and I have two kids. I am not a good homeschooling teacher. And I have a new puppy who you'll probably hear (laughs) hopping around in the background. And uh, I am a stay-at-home mom. I also do a little bit of coaching as I've become a mountain runner in the last several years, I do like those crazy hundred mile ultra races. And, uh, so I, I coach and I, I run a crazy amount of miles every week and try to stay busy with my kids. So a little bit of everything like that, but it's been a little bit different since working at SLOC. And uh, Bob, how about you? Well, I have been working in training and development and consulting. Uh, I've, uh, I have my own company. I'm a one-man show, and I do management uh, consulting. I work in, uh, a lot with corporate culture and communications, and I have uh, worked with uh, all kinds of uh, different companies over the past number of years. And I also coach people at the gym, too, uh, which is equally fun uh, in uh, weight training and, and bodybuilding and fitness and uh, that kind of a thing. So and uh, and trying to support my wife, who is a teacher uh, and has sympathy for Tara and others who are who have been trying to homeschool uh, for so long. It's tough on the teachers, too, just to let you know <laughs> they worked harder and longer than they did when they were in the classroom. So. Uh, so, yeah, very busy indeed. Wow. I want to come back to Tara here for a moment. Tara, you mentioned that you you are homeschooling your kids and that's not an easy thing to do which I think helps us all gain a bigger appreciation for the teachers. Uh, Bob, as you mentioned, your spouse being a teacher. Um, I'm assuming that you are hoping that school will be open in the fall for your kids. (laughs) (laughs) And they are too. I would say they are more hoping (laughs) than I am. Um, Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a grind it you know for everybody everyone's had different scenarios they've had to work on um but yeah i mean we're we're managing and and now we're done so i can say yeah we're good another thing that you mentioned was that you do these ultra runs like these 100 mile or 100k things uh, we we had a podcast earlier with dan merkley who is organizing this thing called Endurance Sports Summit, yeah. uh, which is going to be held in August. Um, and um, that sounds like something that'd be super fun for a really fit person like you to be involved in, you know, with just swimming and cycling and running and, you know, all of these different things that they're that they're doing there. It sounds like it's a really interesting thing. 
Yeah, it sounds amazing. I've, I've heard a lot about it through the grapevine already. And uh, as much as I would take the running leg, I don't know if I could do the <laughs> the swim and the, the bike part of that. It's pretty gnarly where they have that course going. Um, but super intriguing. A lot of my triathlete friends are are looking to get on board with that and, and check it out. Awesome. Well, <laughs> now that you're staying home, staying safe, Bob, are you going into an office? Is home your office? Are you and or your clients um, just working remotely? How's how's the whole COVID thing affected the work that you're doing? Uh, it's it's pretty significant. Uh, I have a home office. Uh, I have from from the start, and so that. Um, that's been easy. So there's been no change as far as that's concerned. But yeah, most clients do not want face-to-face interaction at this point. Uh, happily, Zoom meetings and uh, you know, other, even just phone calls are are just fine. And you, it's it's different. It's it really is different. You can't do the same kinds of things uh, that you can if you're in person, of course, and on site. But in many cases there aren't people on site <laughs> to even observe. So you make do uh, with, the, with the situation uh, and eventually it will resolve. We're starting to see things open up, which I'm glad about. And uh, yeah, I simply look forward to some degree of normalcy returning. Well, I'm, uh, I'm also looking forward to that normalcy returning. I did experience a little bit of that yesterday when I went and got a haircut. <laughs> for the first time in a couple of months, it was sorely needed. And of course I had my face mask on and everything. And that was interesting how they kind of gently pull it off your ear to cut the hair around your ear and everything. But that was fine. I was very, very happy to get a haircut and very glad that they were open and available to do that. Okay. Well, enough of COVID. Okay. Um, let's let's uh, let's go back in time about twenty years. Why don't you tell us, Tara and Bob, um, what you were doing before you joined the Salt Lake Organizing Committee, and how did you find yourself working for SLOC? First of all, it was a dream come true for me. It was um, a scenario where I could see the organization can, starting to grow and and build. This was probably for me in um, maybe fall of. 2000, I would say something like that. And, um, I was the training director at Snowbird and was transitioning into their, uh, winter training where you ramp up, uh, this giant training mode to get all of the winter employees, um, or the seasonal employees ready for their, you know, their new hires and whatnot. And it just didn't seem like a super good fit for me. I was enjoying being there and there's such a fun culture up at Snowbird, but it wasn't necessarily something I was super thrilled about. And, um, you know, on the back end, you could see everything going on, all geared toward the Olympics. Everything was being funneled for the Olympics, like the freeway that you were stuck in the construction on during that time. Like everything was all about the games. And, um, I would browse through the openings on, I think it was, we were using Monster at that point, on monster.com and looking for anything I could. And this training position came available. And back at that time, had I known what this position would have blossomed into when I applied, I honestly don't think 
that I would have, um, I would have applied. It was something well above my skill set that I didn't know that I had and that I learned actually with the help of, of Bob and of my, my boss, Carol Harris, as we all matured into this role and eventually took on this amazing project and amazingly rewarding project. So um, I remember I very hesitantly applied for the job. I went to every former employer, all the university professors I could think of to write me letters. And I just wanted this position with, with everything I had. I really wanted to be involved and I knew that I could do it. And, um, and yeah, that was kind of it for me. I think that all started, I think it was actually around Thanksgiving of, I, I dare say 2000, right when there was a big just transition within the company already. That was kind of soon after I might have my timeline mixed up, but it was pretty soon after Mitt came on board. It was like, you know, everyone was kind of jumping back in. A lot of good things were happening and, you know, everyone was all in, like the ramp up had begun and uh, it was exciting. It was thrilling. And it wasn't too long after that. And uh, I think the enormity of the project became apparent as some of our sponsor help wasn't necessarily working out. I'll just leave it at that. And that's when, um, and, and Bob can correct me for sure. And then add to it when Bob was brought on into our group too. Am I, is that kind of a little bit of the picture? It's been a while, Bob, you'll have to help me out with the details as far as that goes. Yeah, it uh, you it's bring back uh, a lot of memories hearing you describe that. Uh, I was working in training and development before this with a, a very large uh, uh, company that had uh, international reach, and I was looking at a transfer uh, back to my hometown of Philadelphia, which fell through. The company was undergoing a lot of transition and change and 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 everything imploded. And uh, suddenly I had nothing. And it happened at a very opportune time because that's when they were looking for people with uh, training experience to uh, to join SLOC. And uh, and I did. Uh, Carol Harris, our our boss, who was director o- over all of uh, all of the training. We were customer service and the uh, and leadership, and she directed all of it. Uh, and uh, happily, she uh, she recognized with with my background, uh, maybe I could help her. And so she and I and Tara became kind of not just the lead trainers, but the creators of the service training program. And Tara, this is what you were bringing up. The partner who fell through happened to be my former employer. It was Achieve Global. Uh And I don't know if you're going to edit that one out, but (laughs) uh, Achieve Global totally fell through. And I could have told Slack that from the beginning, that they were not capable of doing customized training to the degree that was needed and necessary uh, by the the organizing committee. And so that's when the job came to us. 
And between, uh, you know, Tara and I had the, the major responsibility of putting the service training together under the direction of, of Carol Harris, who also contributed a huge amount as well. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, we also had the, the leadership training. That was something that I created and, uh, and, and delivered. But uh, so <laughs> it was a very opportune time for me since everything had uh, simply vanished and that my whole plans for, uh, for moving uh, back home and taking the whole family with me uh, completely fell through. But the timing couldn't have been better. You've answered one question our listeners probably have, which is, why in the world are these two appearing on the podcast at the same time? Oh. Well, it's because you work together, right, under Carol Harris. And and I remember Carol coming on, uh, and I really I really enjoy the training team. Carol, both of you, Darcy, um, you know, everybody in, in the training team was just wonderful. And I do remember those challenges that you were having with the training materials at the time, and and it was causing a lot of consternation. You mentioned that you had uh, training that was broken down into different components, right? You had this kind of general customer service uh, oriented kind of a thing. You had a leadership training. There was job specific and venue specific kinds of training. And you talked a little bit uh, about those roles being responsible for customer service and leadership. But I'd like to have you dive into that a little bit more. What was the customer service training? How did you decide the approach that you would take, you know, having an arena full of people, having smaller groups, the timing of the training, when it would be done? You know, how were those decisions made? You know, it's been 18 years. And so in speaking about this, I don't want to not give the appropriate uh, accolades to the right people. So in in saying what I'll say, I'll just assume that Everyone knows that everyone had such a great part in coming up with the right parts and this and that, because I don't want to I don't want to blur that line. But basically, I, I think a lot of us got behind the idea. We just had this idea. We needed kind of like a like a rally cry, like some type of an excitement just to get people, you know, like um, to get them all enthused. And we wanted to do something where it would unite and 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 help everyone. And for some reason, the idea of having those kazoos and playing that, you know, that da -da 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 -da, that charge anthem and kind of like all coming together, having that, you know, like throw your arms in the air and like, yeah, we're an army of volunteers and we're going to make this happen. That all kind of evolved and created this acronym that we went on to use using the, the word charge. And, and I don't know if I'll remember all the, let me see. It's like, Gosh, I know how to spell charge, but, um, you know, there are all the different components to charge and that made up basically the service training, which allowed for, like Bob was saying, allowed for not the job specific or venue specific. Those were all separate from what he and I did. It was basically, um, it was feel good training. It was what was on stage when the masses met at all the general training sessions, like at Cottonwood High School, like at Weber State, like at, you know, all the big venues, and then broke out from there before they had a uh, job and venue specific training. So we got to do a lot of the rah-rah, you know, here's what you do. Here's how you point to say, go here. Here's how you, you know, resolve a problem. We used a tool called WARPTH, which was another acronym. Um, we tried to keep it simple and light, but specific enough to where 
volunteers would feel confident in their roles and also be effective. So they weren't, you know, just kind of hanging out like in these cool uniforms, but they were actually making a difference and they could feel that. Um, and I think, I, I think honestly, and I know we'll get to this in a minute, but one of the best things for me personally at the end of the games was when they announced the success of the games, like really feeling like you made a difference personally because of maybe a small piece of the things that volunteers were learning came from you or, you know, came from us. And that was just a really neat thing. So, you know, never could have imagined that that was something that we would have come up with, but Bob and I sat literally in the same cubicle because th- th- we had some hard times there and in <laughs> in the bank account there and and uh, mm-hmm. we sat in the same cubicle. What was that building? The two five seven building up the street and uh, yeah, we sat there and and hammered this out and and you know came up with all we could. But basically, starting out with with the charge acronym and and getting everybody psyched and and ready to go. That was, that was a big part of it. Wow. <laughs> yes. The two five seven building, it was you and me and Christy Patton. Christy, yep. Yep. <laughs> who, uh, we couldn't have done any of this without Christy self. She was a genius at, uh, at what she did. And you're talking about committed, helpful, adaptable, respectful, uh, uh, gracious and enjoy. Oh my God. Charge. Bob. <laughs> hey, Tara, I will do you one better. Okay. Oh, you ready? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Charge. <laughs> I still have a bag of the kazoos. <laughs> so. We'll need those, right? 2030. <laughs> Uh, Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh my gosh. Yeah. The, um, the service training, as as Tara was describing, uh, that the hours that that we put in uh, were, were tremendous and we were joined at the hip. Uh, And honestly, we we felt like a, I don't know, Tara, like an old married couple at, at, at times. You know, and, and occasionally they're, you know, kind of get get into it a, a little bit, uh, but but the the results were tremendous, and the the fact that we were able to uh, to come up with a service training program that was delivered to thirty thousand people, you know, thirty thousand people with what about twenty six, twenty seven part time volunteers. Uh, uh, is nothing short of amazing. <laughs> Tara was referring also to those big kickoffs that that we had uh, at um, you know the big venues where uh, well you know, at Conwood High School uh, down at UVU's uh, Special Events Center and and so forth, uh, which was the first of of three service training classes that that the volunteers would go through, and then they of course they met in classrooms at nine different locations up and down the Wasatch Front where our trainers would uh, would hold those classes several times a week and Saturday mornings. Uh, and it was our uh, privilege uh, after training them for a week, doing a, a week-long train the trainer, to go and visit them, watch them, coach them, uh, evaluate uh, their work. 
uh, and they were a tremendous group. And 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 I hope to be able to talk a little bit more about them uh, in in a few minutes. Yeah. But it was, uh, it worked as Tara was talking about the. It worked very well. The accolades that the games received were uh, due in large part, in in the majority part, to the the quality of the volunteers who took the training seriously. They loved it. They enjoyed it. Uh, we did try to make it uh, lighthearted here and there, uh, but. We also asked that they learn it, uh, they, that they knew it, and that and we had to make sure that everybody received the same training across the board. Uh, and that was no small feat when you have that many trainers uh, training that many people in three waves of, uh, of service training. But we needed that common language that all the volunteers would use, uh, whether it was dealing with disabled uh, individuals uh, or the, like uh, as Tara was talking about, you point with the open palm and not with the finger and so forth to be respectful. And uh, in case of another culture may find this, the pointed finger disrespectful, things like that. So, uh, so many uh, training stories to tell. So uh, maybe we'll come back to those. I, I know I asked a loaded question, which is did, how was the training effective? And I felt it was on two fronts. Number one, the training has to be motivational to retain the volunteers. If you had a significant number of volunteers falling out after training, then you just have to recruit more volunteers. You have to train more people. And so having a really high energy motivational training was was really really important to make sure that we excited them and motivated them and kept them in the in the path uh, to deployment and then secondly about the skills i remember the open hand i remember the <laughs> well here in utah here in utah we say uh-huh when people say thank you and we shouldn't say uh-huh you know we we should uh, respond verbally and not with just this uh-huh because some cultures may see that as a bit yeah. as a bit you know arrogant sounding or whatever mm -hmm. to this day i still remember those concepts that i learned going through that training you know 18 years ago so Yay. Uh, my hat's off to you for delivering what i thought was really effective training on both fronts it was both developing skills but also very very motivational so now I want to come back to some of those stories that you were thinking of, Bob, uh, you know, that you had during the training, the, the little team of trainers that you had that were delivering th this mountain of training to all of these thousands and thousands of people. So Bob and Tarek, you know, kind of give us a few of those uh, really interesting stories that, and experiences that you had um, delivering the training in the lead up to Salt Lake 2002 games. And I know we shouldn't talk over each other, but Bob, honestly, feel free to jump into the story and, and, and add either way. Um, when we first realized what we had to do with getting the exact training out to all the different kind of a quality control issue, like how in the world are we going to do this? We had on board on our training team already several very high standard uh, professional trainers, similar to Bob, who had been doing this for, you know, so many years and they were kind of part of the, the, um, what was being offered to us in our sponsorship package. And what was happening is that we had this training <clears throat> that we scripted and we would give this out. And basically these trainers would come back and kind of do their own take on everything 
which was fine. And in every other setting in corporate America, which I soon learned after Slock when I went into that realm for a while, that's normal. That's totally fine. However, we realized, and it, there was a lot of, I would know, a little bit of, it was hard to kind of pass that along. We realized this almost had to be a word for word training just to alleviate any, you know, any misconceptions. And we burned a lot of bridges that way. We, um, that was a really hard thing for me to do. I think as a young professional, uh, to kind of get into these kind of topics with much more experienced people than myself and say, actually, you can't do that. You know, you have to do this and here's why and whatnot. And, and that was a real struggle. And at least for me, and um, we ended up having to, I think, let go a lot of <laughs> those options. And what was unique, I think, in these circumstances is that I had this uh, kind of army of, of professional friends at that point. As this was a part-time option, I went to these friends and were like, hey, listen, we have this amazing opportunity here. I don't know if you'd be interested. I... I can't imagine how you wouldn't be, but this is what we're looking for. Here's what we need. If you want to do it, here's, you know, here's the parameters. Can you come try out? And um, we went through this, I guess, kind of like a tryout session. And basically what we were looking for were uh, animated folks who could deliver the message effectively and also create that, that feeling, like how you were describing, Christian, amongst the, you know, amongst these 30,000 volunteers. And these were professionals in their realms. They were actually like grade school teachers. These were uh, professional business, I guess, professional business people is kind of redundant, right? But they were, they're professionals nonetheless. So it was an, an amazing mix of so many great people that we had in, in that 30, I guess, group of 40. And, uh, and it just, it works and it, I don't know how, but everyone was so bought into the message and making it right and kind of just staying on task that it made what we had to do easier at that point. That's where I would like to, to jump in if yeah, I could. Please. <laughs> because that hiring many of the part-time trainers uh, still remains with me as one of the most interesting experiences that I had. <laughs> because as Tara's explaining, it was, it was an audition process. We had a script. It was a semi-script uh, where we wanted them to have their own voice, but they must, they must hit these particular points. They're not optional. These topics must be hit. Here are some suggested language. Find your own voice, make it interesting, but follow the pattern. And we set out, what, four or five pages of this <laughs> yeah. to prospective trainers, including a number of, of uh, terrorist friends, and asked them to prepare uh, to present those <clears throat> to uh, well, five or six of us as if they were presenting the training to a group of, uh, of volunteers. What I found so interesting was that we had a number of professional trainers who who wanted to be part of this and wanted to join up. And most of them gave the worst auditions. We needed people who were trainable and coachable. 
And in many instances, they arrived and they would hold up the pages that we sent them and said, you know, I read through these and I thought, you know, with my background and experience, I can improve upon this. I can help you make this even better. And so here's what it's going to sound like with my improvements. Yeah. Well, right there, right there. Sorry, no go. We can't have somebody like that who is not going to be trainable and coachable. Uh, we can't have people uh, thinking that they're beyond finding their own voice, they're going to create their own material. It, it simply couldn't be done. However, on on the other side, we had people who were elementary school teachers, uh, marketing people, uh, and they did fabulously. The uh, Julie and, and Robin Lloyd, for example, both elementary teachers, yeah. were terrific, absolutely terrific. They presented exactly the way we wanted them to, as did all the others that we that we hired, and we knew. Okay, we have our team. They 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 understand the importance of ensuring that there is a common voice uh, being given to all of those classes, and they followed through, and that was a remarkable thing. Wonderful people, absolutely wonderful. Uh, by the way, Tara, uh, uh, Julie Lloyd is now my neighbor. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> Down the street. Yes. Oh I, several SLOC um, uh, members who uh, uh, are neighbors here as well. Uh, two, in fact, three, uh, two, well, two other trainers. Uh, Kathy Carey uh, is, is a neighbor. Uh, we've got uh, Julie and Owen, one other. Anyway, yeah, it's fun to, to see and stay in touch with some of them. interesting for me just to add one more piece to that is that you know all they needed to do was be a good presenter with skills at first and then their voice would follow as they continued to deliver the same message which really was over and over and over again we had i think three waves of i mean because we had 10,000 people each wave so we had you know, three waves right. of 10,000, which equivoted to about, gosh, three months of training every week. So these trainers, by the time they were done, they had it all memorized and it was in their own voice. But the effectiveness came from right. basic repetition, which is such a, a good life skill anyhow. But who would have known? Like, we never could have imagined that that's what it would have taken at that point. Well, you know, uh, to that point, I... Uh, they they got so good uh, that um, well in the case of of Robin uh, Robin Lloyd she received a job offer from one of the volunteers in her classes <laughs> who worked up at the University of Utah and was responsible for hiring uh, trainers uh, in um, uh, in HR and, and other areas and he said you know you're really good uh, so when this is over uh, if you'd like a job as a trainer I would uh, love to hire you <laughs> now this is a, a, a woman who taught elementary school and there is a huge difference between teaching and training but she had internalized the concepts and the skills of training so effectively 
that she became uh, so good that she received a job offer to work in training. (laughs) I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud. As you're going through and you're telling me about all these waves and all these trainings, that's a lot of trainings to deliver (laughs) to a lot of people. And in a scripted uh, environment where you're basically delivering the same material over and over, sometimes it can become a bit challenging to maintain that that high level of energy and enthusiasm. So what did you do? What kinds of uh, tactics did you employ to, to make sure that you and, and your team were always at the top of their game for every training that they delivered? Well, I can, I can talk about what uh, – I can talk about that from my perspective <laughs> – one of our jobs was to visit them uh, as they conducted their training. So, so I, I don't know how many miles I, I put on my car, but nine locations, several days a week, Saturday morning, I was out there to observe the trainers and with an evaluation sheet and to talk with them afterwards about how much they did well, a few areas where they could improve, but to show that we were interested in their development, not just that they were doing it right, but I tried to make sure that as I met with each one of them, that I really emphasized all that that was going well and, and asked what what else can we do for them? How do we support you uh, and and provide extra training tips uh, and uh, try to transmit the energy I felt to them, but it usually happened the other way. Uh, I don't know about you, Tara, but I, I never saw really much of a diminishment of their energy because they were so invested and so committed to presenting the material, and like you say, Christian, it was the same material uh, several times a week over the course of you know three huge waves of of, uh, of volunteers. Uh, but they maintained that because they felt the way that that we did. They were part of something so meaningful and so significant that they wanted to give it their very best. And you know what is also interesting is that. In, in the training, there were a number of videos, which you probably remember. Yeah. And some of those videos were so uplifting, especially uh, that one that we would show at the end of, of the training class. Uh, and I'm not going to hum the music, but <laughs> uh, it was so moving. It would bring people to tears. It brought us to tears. And 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 so it was self-motivating uh, in, in large part because uh, of the commitment that we felt to an endeavor this important. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it was imperative for for Bob and I to create our job security at that point when we knew we had so many good trainers. We're like, oh, we gotta have we have to have something to do. I think like, we would go out and part of our job, like managing the program, like we went from being develop like creator, developer, hirer types to basically then managing the program and that part of it, the actual going out and, and watching sometimes seemed a little like, like we didn't need to, because I think what we had here were just great trainers, but also, you know, you guys remember like people were so into being volunteers that they would show up in these classes. And even if you weren't really feeling it, like as the trainer, because Bob and I had to jump in, you know, people were sick and this and that. We'd have to jump in and teach classes. People were so psyched 
just generally mm-hmm. speaking, that you couldn't just stand there and kind of like ramble on about, you know, how to point to something. You you really got into it because number one, people expected that of you. And also they were just genuinely eager-eyed and ready to go. They were like, get me the information. I've I've read through all my materials. I'm ready to go. Like people were unusually prepared being there. And uh, they were there early. They were there ready to go. And it really was this army of, of excitement that people carried with them. And I think that was like one of the, the biggest things for me, actually. Well, it's interesting you mentioned uh, covering for people when they're sick. It reminds me, I, I worked on the system side. And so I had responsibility for working with Monster to develop the training administration system oh, that was deployed there. Yeah. And, and so I worked. I worked all the time with Darcy <laughs> and bless her heart. I mean, she worked so hard to try to, to manage all of the enrollments oh. and, and manage all of the trainers and their schedules oh, and, and everything. So all of that enrollment management and the uh, letters, the, the letters, the invitations and everything. Yes. That was a, that was a huge job. So I hope I, I hope I can get Darcy on. I don't know how to get a hold of her, but I need to get Darcy and Carol uh, on here to talk about that. You know, it, we did have a, a wonderful group there at SLOC, and, yeah. and 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 we cannot speak highly enough of Darcy. Right. Uh, I mean, perpetually happy, always uplifting to everyone. And, I mean, let's face it, not every day was a wonderful day in, at the office, oh, yeah. right? I mean, uh, it got to you uh, because it, it was this was hard work and there was a strict timetable. You couldn't just put things over to a committee uh, because the games were going to start when the game started and you had to have it done. And if sometimes nerves got frayed and Darcy a couple times, I think she spent the night at the office. But you did what you had to do. Uh, everyone on, on our team did. <clears throat> and. Uh, and with regard to what Tara was saying about the the enthusiasm of the volunteers, one thing I, th- I think we have to remember also is that we had more volunteers than we needed, huh, yeah. which was so such the opposite of the previous games, which were the summer games uh, in Australia, where they were still searching for volunteers the day the games began. We had more than we knew what to do with and, and created an entirely new category of volunteer. Uh, if you remember this, and they didn't get the really cool uniforms, but they got uniforms and they were told, you're going to be shoveling snow uh, and dumping trash. Uh, you still want to be part of it? Yes, we do. We want to be part of that. <laughs> so there was that consistency consistent enthusiasm on their part and i loved being able to to uh, uh to cover for uh, for the trainers to be able to do that number one because i loved to do training but to feel their energy uh is it was so invigorating uh, to, uh, to me and and one other sort of defining moment about about that was if you remember back, well, of course you're going to remember uh, 9/11, uh, when we all thought that there was going to that there was a large bullseye right on our building downtown with all those windows, and and we put the word out to the classes. What do you think? Because these were the people who were going to be on the front lines. Uh, are you scared now? Do you want to quit? Do you, does everybody want to go home and say, yep, uh, let's call the Olympics off because there was a lot of international cry to cancel them. And 
And I, I remember asking the trainers to ask this of, of your classes and uniformly, uni with absolute unanimity, they said, no, we're not going to quit. We want to stay because the games are needed now more than ever. And so let's keep this going. And I tell you, that, that sort of commitment, it just, it, it just reinforced my own to, uh, because there they could have easily said, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't want to be killed. I'm not, I don't want to be in the right and dead center of a, of a terrorist attack. But they said, no, we're going to stay. I want to be part of this. And, it, and we need it now. Don't you dare let this quit. Bob, thank you for sharing that inspirational message. Um, I felt it too. Um, there was a resolve. We're going to put these games on and they were amazing. I remember the opening ceremony, um, seeing it finally come to fruition. And um, I think we achieved something that was quite magical, uh, to be honest. But I have to ask you guys, what were you doing during games time? Because all of this training happens pretty, pretty much before the game. So, so during games time, what are you doing? Oh, well, I think... <laughs> I think that was the best part. I think, um, I don't know, are we allowed to openly talk about these things? Is that okay? Is that, is that fine? We can just kind of divulge the secrets. Um, we basically, It's my podcast. I make the rules. So, okay. yep. like, so come back. Um, I think we were basically given the option of where we wanted to be. Um, Carol had, I, and I've, gosh, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. She had a bunch of options and we got to pick from those options on where we wanted to be and kind of what we wanted to do. Um, and it wasn't like a home run at first. Like we definitely, we had to work together to pick these, but you know, I picked, um, I picked Deer Valley and Park City for the snowboarding and downhill event or not downhill, but the um, like Alpine events at Deer Valley. And I got to work with the, like, uh, what is it called? Oh, you guys, when we didn't do the medal ceremony at the venues, right? We did it at the, at the night, but when you, when the athletes would win, you'd pull them aside and then you'd have a little mini ceremony, like right there. Yes. Is that, mm -hmm. am I saying that right? Um, yeah. It was like a little, a little victory ceremony yeah. mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so I, I got to be one of those um, liaisons in helping that. So I would help the athlete do the little, you know, pretend podium and do that there. So that was really, that was like, I see on the cake, honestly, like I, I couldn't have asked for something more to what I liked as far as the winter sports enthusiasm enthusiast that I am, um, and getting to do that. Like I remember meeting, um, Kelly Clark who won the gold that year. Um, some of the other names are going to slip me, but that was a really special moment. I never could have imagined again, that I would have been in that place at that time, having that opportunity. It was just, you know, it was just super exciting and yeah, not to wait again, but on the cake. Yeah. And, and Christian, you, you made a good point. Our games time was before the games. So when the games began, our job was done. And so, yeah, Carol gave us the option to work at um, at one of the uh, at one of the venues, and I chose Park City Mountain Resort. And I said, I don't want 
I don't want to be in charge of anything right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I was tired. I mean, let's be honest. I was tired. I said, I just want to work as a volunteer would work. And at Park City, Tara, I don't know if you, if you remember who uh, was the uh, person in charge there. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it was Renee, Renee Choice. Uh, I mean, you want enthusiasm <laughs> times 10, times 100. Uh, so I would work, uh, I mean, I worked under Renee, uh, which was great. I mean, she was one of our trainers. We trained her. And now I took direction from her and I was just a volunteer in the tent at 4 a.m. when the volunteers would come in for their shifts and I would stamp their playbooks. If you remember those playbooks, yeah. uh, <laughs> still have one uh, and and help the, the volunteers get ready for their shift. And so I sat side by side with them uh, to to see what it was like to work as a volunteer. And I, I asked for no other responsibilities beyond that. And I was content and it was a great deal of fun. It was relaxing and I, it was, it was fun to, to be shoulder to shoulder with the volunteers. Now, then occasionally I, I would visit some of the other resorts um, like uh, uh, UOC where, where Darcy was in charge to see just how it all came together. Since we had, uh, a, a pretty big part in helping the volunteers get ready for all of this. Well, okay, how did it turn out? How are they doing? And are they still enthusiastic? And of course they were, and everybody was having a terrific time. Well, I'll tell you, getting up to Park City by 4 a.m. was in in the freezing winter was uh, was an experience. But that even that was fun too. Uh, driving my car to a parking uh, uh, area. Uh, up the canyon and waiting for one of those buses yeah. to pick us up. And I don't know if you remember, we uh, you know, we brought in buses from all over the country uh, to uh, to help with the transportation of, um, of volunteers uh, and athletes. And so I, I, a couple of times I was on a bus that was originally in, in St. Louis or was in Oklahoma. You know, it, 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 they came from there uh, and the drivers, too. Uh, and we put those drivers through service training as well uh, uh, out at the TPC uh, <laughs> yeah. with um, uh, this kind of specialized training, kind of a condensed form uh, for them. Uh, but they they wanted to be part of it as well. I don't even know what to say. I mean, what a great experience that you both had and what a difference that you made. And so I just thank you uh, for doing that. And I also thank you for coming on our podcast. Um before we get to our final assignments, I do want to ask a question. The games end, and you both go on to do different things. But for each of you, is there one lesson that you that you learned in planning and delivering that training, working on those games, that impacted you for the rest of your career? Not to sound um, silly about going back to our service training acronym, but one thing that I, I took on with me as I continued in corporate training and development uh, for many years after was being adaptable. I think that um, for me as a young professional, I mean, tenacious and as much energy as I had, past tense, no, um, <laughs> I think just being adaptable is probably get you further in life than most people, uh, you know, and that you can put that scenario in whatever, you know, 
anything you have going on, whether it's with other uh, employees, work scenarios, uh, business dinners, whatever the case is. I, I really took that being adaptable all the time because I could, I could hear Bob yelling at me, be adaptable, Tara, be more, no, he didn't do that, but uh, definitely I think just the adaptability part. Cause we, we had to, you know, we were all kind of making this up as we were going along. That's the whole point in success with these type of scenarios, like with, like with the, the games is that we were all just trying our best and giving our best and making it, you know, tried to be spectacular about it. And yet we had to work with each other and learn how to be adaptable as we all had giant personalities and wanting to also have those same goals met. So being adaptable for me was, yeah, definitely something that I've tried to even encourage just at home now with my kids. Like you just have to be adaptable, whether it's with your friends, your teachers, and, you know, whatever you encounter, um, you have to be ready to make <laughs> the best decision that you can in the moment. And if not, you're just trying to be adaptable and uh, yeah, and making it work. It's hard to, to narrow it down to one thing. It, it certainly, it had a huge impact on my life and a huge impact on my career. So many lessons that I'd learned uh, while at SLOC either in the creation of the training materials or in the delivery or in the training of the trainers, coaching them. Uh, I've used so many of those lessons uh, myself when I went out on my own uh, as a consultant and trainer and, and coach. <laughs> I, I think, for example, of the conflict resolution tool of warmth that I use all the time. I have taught that uh, in in my own workshops and and, and in my consulting jobs. Uh, and the other thing is, though, if if I can maybe narrow it down to this, the ability to get things done both quickly and well done. It's like what I was alluding to earlier when I said we, we had to get things done when they were needed to be done. You couldn't say, well, we'll table this and we'll come back to it uh, next month. Well, there was no next month like that. The games began in February on this particular date and that was that. So being able to make adjustments and to never to compromise on quality, but to make adjustments and to be adaptable, uh, to get everything created and delivered on time and done well. It showed me what you can do under such a strict timetable when there really is no way to move the start date of, of a particular project, or in this case, the Olympic Games. Uh, I, I had uh, I, I created for myself a, a variation of the uh, the eighty twenty rule there, because what we created was good. It really it really was good. Now, could it have been better? Well, of course it could have been. Could we have tweaked it and spent even more time to to fix this and to fix that? Well, sure. But what I've learned is that when you have created something that is about 80% ready, then you go. 
you just go. Because that extra 20% of time that you would put into it, nobody would notice except you. And even then, when it was all complete, you'd look back and say, oh, I could have done this a little better. We could have tweaked this uh, segment a little bit better. Okay. We, we got to what I consider to be about an 80% uh, ready condition, and we went. Uh, as one who'd been working in training development for so long, uh, I thought, oh, we could have done just a little bit more here, but there was sim simply no time. And guess what? It was fine. It was, it was great. It worked just perfectly. And I have used that, that realization ever since. I have taught that realization to as many who will listen, who get so caught up in, in taking too much time to finish something because it's not quite right yet by saying it's never going to be quite right. It's never going to be perfect. I think those are both wonderful lessons, you know, Tara, to your point about being adaptable. I think people, particularly in these high pressure environments, who learn to roll with the punches and just figure things out, you know, they, they do well. And Bob, to your point about the good enough, the 80% rule, um, it's so appropriate. It reminded me of a uh, uh, George Lucas quote, who said, films are never finished, they're abandoned. And, uh, and you just have to get it to a point, And then you have to be willing to just say, to let it go and say, you know, it is what it is. And we're going to be fine. So thank you so much for sharing those sharing those lessons. I really appreciate it. It's fun to remember them, honestly. And um, it seems like such a, a lifetime ago, to, to even go back through all of these things. And it's exciting. It's just really exciting. It was such a special unique situation. Like, I don't think I've ever been able to replicate it. Anything I've, I've done since. Um, and I'm glad about that because, you know, the cliche is that it was once in a lifetime experience and it really was, you know, it really was a once in a lifetime experience. And the thought of the game potentially coming back into our backyard again is pretty cool. I don't know you know, what our reach will do with that, but um, it's, it's exciting to think about. And I, I know we could pull it off again. Well, doesn't it remind you though, Tara and, and Christian, if you ever saw this uh, one video that we used to make fun of, of yeah. this woman who was in her seventies or eighties, yeah. looking back through a scrapbook of when she was a volunteer and, and, <laughs> and talking about the history of the game is that this was a video that we, that was used in the uh, service training classes. And then it ends with her saying, would I do it again? You bet I would. And we would laugh at that because it seems so corny. And yet we're now approaching that same position where we would be, well, at least I'll be <laughs> that age category. You won't be there. Uh, uh, and if somebody said, would you do it again? Yes, I would. Of course I would. Yep. Uh, so it's, <laughs> and, uh, and Tara, I don't know if you remember this. I was thinking, Christian, can I give a memorable moment? Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> this has, uh, I, I mean, this is so tangential, so tangential. But uh, this was with a little bit of help from Bronwyn, Bronwyn Barnett, who was a, a great friend of ours and was still in touch with. And, and 
she arranged for me what? to meet Marie Osmond. <laughs> she knew that I had a thing for Marie. She had a thing for Donnie. She had pictures of him all over her cubicle and met him a few times. And I confess, well, you know, like half of the American male population, I <laughs> kind of like Marie. And so we had her uh, as the, the, the big star of one of our kickoffs. <laughs> And I can't remember which location it was. Was it down? I think it was UVU. Yeah. Was a big, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so Bronwyn said, I can arrange for this. Uh, now, I will have you meet their car as it comes down into the, the back of the, um, the special events center there. Uh, and I'll have the, the person who usually does this go do something else, <laughs> basically. And so when the car uh, was in sight, she had me rush down there uh, and I motioned for the car to come in and here's where you park and went over to the driver's or the passenger side door, opened it and helped Marie out uh, from the car. Uh, and I remember saying, I have waited 30 <laughs> years for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I got that huge Osmond smile and I thought, okay, I can, uh, that's it. You know, the games are complete now. <laughs> this is fabulous. Yeah, that was something. And I, and I have Bronwyn to thank for that. Uh, she arranged it. It was maybe not quite kosher, but it sure was fun. <laughs> I love that memory. I love it. And I forgot about Bronwyn. I'm so glad that you mentioned her. And I do remember, in fact, that she had a very, uh, yeah, she she had a she had a crush on on Donnie. That's oh, for sure. I remember big that big time, big time, big time. <laughs> well, speaking of Donnie and Marie, that really takes me to my music question. So, so is there a particular song that um, when you hear it today, it takes you right back to Salt Lake two thousand two? Yes, I I'm a music guru. I love my music, and um, there are so many different ones. And I think of them. I think of them sort of in different phases. Uh, I know that we had so many awesome um, artists come into town and do the award ceremonies at night and, you know, getting to go to those brings back a lot of memories, but I can remember two specifically, maybe one was an ad that, um, that Pink did that, uh, and I'm going to forget the song right now. Shoot. I I'm not going to sing it, but that was a real big one. Like get, was it the get the party started one? I think. Yes, get the pink uh, from her Misunderstoods album. Uh, yeah, uh, so get that the was party one. Started. It was kind of, kind of like always at the forefront, even just of ads on the TV. But also another one that I remember specifically was uh, the YouTube "It's a Beautiful Day," and um, that just kind of reminds me of, of of everything. And maybe it was just it wasn't necessarily anything to do with the Olympics, but that was kind of what was on, you know, way back then. And just, you know, the driving into Salt Lake or even, you know, it was such a, a neat feeling, even just coming into the Wells Fargo building, you know, going up the elevator and like having that excitement, just coming into work. And um, uh, I don't know, that was just such a, a kind of a theme song for me and remembering all those things, like just the special opportunity it was and that it was going to be ending right? That you had kind of a timeline of effort you knew you had to give. And it was just, it was cool. That was a, a big memory for me. When it comes to, to the music, I, I have to admit I wasn't 
fond of a lot of the music of that day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you make cracks about age, but you know, I just didn't care for a lot. I do remember some of it. And that one that you mentioned, Tara, the one uh, by Pink, absolutely, because it was everywhere. It really was. But today, uh, because I don't listen to the music from back then, what really grabs me is whenever the John Williams music uh, comes on somewhere. Cool. Uh, and, and that, I mean, that is so powerful. That evokes so much emotion to listen to that, uh, to that music. Uh, and I mean, we heard it so many times before and during and after the games, uh, it was broadcast, uh, you know, at, at the, uh, uh opening ceremonies. Uh, it, 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 to this day s still evokes a great deal of emotion, uh, within me. Uh, those are both they're, they're all wonderful choices all wonderful choices now we've created a spotify playlist and all of the choices from all of our guests are put on that oh. playlist and i have to say every choice that you've nominated has already been nominated by somebody else <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which means that the songs were were popular even the john williams uh was nominated mm -hmm. in fact one of our guests um jess christiansen i don't know if you remember jess uh her mother was in the utah symphony and played the John Williams music at the oh. opening ceremony. So uh, great, great musical choices. My next question for you is about food. So is there a particular restaurant that you like to go to when you work there in the 257 building or in the 222 building or during games time? Oh gosh, yes. So many. Um, that was something Carol was really good at um, a lot of things, most things, many things, but she really did a good job, like keeping us connected as a team and kind of knowing when we needed to, you know, leave the building and kind of just get out and whatnot. And, um, personally, one of my favorites was the, what was it called? That European connection. It was in the basement, that crepery. Yeah. It was behind the 222 building. And I'm, those don't exist anymore. That was a real bonus for me. That was really good. Um, mm -hmm. let's see that one. We would do market street downtown quite a bit as a group, as a team, mm -hmm. that one. And what would be another one? But you say Olympics and you say food and the most nasty thing I can think of, <laughs> unfortunately, are those horrendous <laughs> Angus beef hot dogs. That's, I, yeah. I can conjure up that smell and it makes me kind of stick to my stomach. That's not like the the purpose of your question, but that's what I think of first when you say food from the Olympics, I think of, Oh, those, those nasty hot dogs, <laughs> but no, we, we did enjoy a lot of really good times um, together as a group um, at market street and um, a particular mm -hmm. couple of caterers that I wish I can remember their names who, who helped us a lot at all of our um, training kickoff sessions and events who I actually used at my, at my wedding and stayed in contact with them um from that so that was kind of kind of ex a, a exciting affront to that so oh wonderful choices wonderful choices and i i do remember the hot dogs yeah i remember the hot dogs Tara, unfortunately viking caterers they were 
Best best people to work with. Yeah. I remember Market Street very well. There were so yeah, Carol was great about making sure we got out uh and it was a variety of restaurants. And I remember being inside several, but I don't remember what they were or you know, which ones they were. Um Market Street I do remember, and there was a Japanese restaurant on Main Street that we went to near the end of uh, of the games. And I thought that was wonderful because I'd never had sashimi before. And I thought, well, this is pretty good stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and, I, and it was paid for. <laughs> so it's even better. <laughs> and I, oh, Tara, I wish you hadn't brought up those hot dogs. Do you remember the sack lunches that came in yeah. the building? Yeah. Oh, my. They were the worst, uh, and we ate them because they were free. But I, after a while, I just made sure I had my own food. But uh, <laughs> but Market Street, we had some good good uh, times there. I like I like that place. All right. Well, I'm going to add those restaurants, particularly Market Street, to my website. I've got a map on the oh. website of mm-hmm. all the restaurants that everybody selected. And so hopefully when all of this coronavirus thing subsides and we can go enjoy ourselves in restaurants again, uh, you know, people can go on there and they can see the restaurants that people have chosen and go visit them. So thank you very much for sharing the restaurants. And now to wrap us up, give us your goosebump moment. Oh, my gosh. You want to rock, paper, scissors? You want to go, Bob? Or? And, you know, I thought about this one, Christian, uh, from from your list. Um and this was this was a hard one, uh, and I've actually mentioned some of them. I mean, you know, hey, Marie Osmond, Doug Goosebumps, my gosh, uh, and and volunteering at um, at Park City Mountain Resort. I mean, that doesn't seem like a goosebump moment, but it was for for me in a sense because it it was so meaningful to to be there simply as a volunteer to watch everything come together and and come together so successfully and people enjoying themselves even at 4 a.m with smiles on their faces uh, and it's freezing cold uh, and it didn't matter what venue you visited it was always that way uh, so it was more of a cumulative uh, goosebump uh, set of moments in in that regard uh, and also, because of what I uh, of what I do in in, in terms of, of training for so many years, I had goosebump moments many times watching some of the trainers and how well they connected with their classes and how well they followed what we had asked them to do. That they were covering everything that they were asked to, but they found their own voice in ways that I never would have imagined. Uh, I, I, I mean, I well, Rich Kennedy. Okay, you've interviewed him. Uh, you know, he was a slock uh, uh, employee, but he was also one of our part-time trainers. And he was crazy up in front of a group, as you can imagine. Uh, and I loved watching his energy. I mean, he was a natural. It was so much fun to watch him. Uh, you know, that that sort of thing. I mean, that might seem a, a little nerdy to, to say that, well, I'm watching trainers. That uh, gives me goosebumps. Uh, but uh, but I really did. Or um, uh, when uh, – <laughs> oh, who was it who talked about um, – 
defectors in the basement. Because <laughs> when we talked about, uh, we, we told them, uh, well, part of the training was how to deal with potential defectors and, you know, don't sympathize with, uh, with people so much. And, uh, and I was watching one of our, our, our trainers, uh, who was it? She's uh, kind of exotic uh, uh, looking. And she said uh, in the middle of this, don't, don't take care of them. Don't take them home with you. Oh. Okay? Don't take them home. You might want to, but don't. No defectors in the basement. No defectors in the basement. I laughed so hard when I was watching that and listening to her <laughs> say that. Uh, you know, it's, it's just moments like that that just kind of warm, warm your heart. <laughs> oh, Denise. Denise Tully. Oh, right. That's who it was. Uh, Denise Tully. Well, mm -hmm. for me, um, I, I had the sweet, special privilege of uh, running the torch in Missoula, Montana. And um, that was just from like the employee nomination pool, how that all worked and, and whatnot. And to this day, like if this was a video instead of just the audio, I've got it sitting right here um, just in my, on my table in here. And I'd like that to be an heirloom for my kids. That was such, such an amazing experience for me. Um, number one, I've kind of always been an athlete my whole life here and there, just, you know, for fun. And when I was a little girl, I got to, and I was a swimmer, I got to train in the same pool with an Olympian. Her name um, is Angel Martinez. And um, it was an amazing inspirational thing for me as a young girl. And I always wanted to be in the Olympics. I always had aspirations of being in the Olympics in, as a swimmer. And that clearly did not happen. And, um, but for me, this piece of the puzzle in my life was fulfilling that girl, girlhood, is that a word? <laughs> that, that dream as I was a child of having that Olympic experience. And it was something I'll never forget. Like it was probably like 10 degrees in Missoula. It was, you know, like January. I, I couldn't even wear running shoes. I had on these giant hiking boots because of the snow and the very gracious, outfit that they gave you to run in was like paper thin. And um, then the, this torch, as gorgeous as it is, it was heavy. And I remember holding this torch with the and getting the flame lit from the people behind me and you're running and it's I think less than a quarter mile. And you're watching this flame. And I just I mean, I get emotional thinking about it right now. Like it was such a heavy, amazing feeling that oh my gosh, like this is actually this is coming true. And it led me to remind myself that, you know, you can accomplish your dreams and they might not be exactly what you think they are when you're originally having them, but you can accomplish some amazing things in your life. And I've tried to hold true to that um, through the years as I've gone on to do different things and, and now into doing the things that I'm doing with mountain running. And um, that's a subtle reminder to me to get after it again, that I never, ever, ever would have applied for this job knowing what it would have entailed and how it would have changed my life. But this really was a pivotal experience for me that I think has, you know, helped me grow into the woman that I, that I am now. Well, those are amazing, amazing um, experiences and stories. And I appreciate you telling them with such enthusiasm and fondness. Um, when I hear you recounting these stories, 
it makes me emotional. And I wasn't even there to see to see you go through all of those things. So I really appreciate you, Bob and Tara, for for taking the time and extended amount of time because we've gone significantly over the amount of time that I normally Sorry. go. But for you to share your no apology needed. Uh, it's been it's just been for me just a wonderful, wonderful um, hour uh, spent with you. Now, Bob and Tara, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing, helping other organizations with training and development and communication and so on and so forth, or uh, sharing those experiences of uh, homeschooling, stay-at-home yeah. mom, uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you on social media or otherwise? Well, I'm easy to find. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on at run with Tara. And that's just my, you know, just like my a personal account. And I do... Um, I'm a running coach. And so any, any type of running help or that type of thing, I've kind of, I've gotten away from the corporate training and uh, organizational development at that point, but who knows, maybe I'll jump back in at the future. That's always an option. Um, it was definitely a passion I enjoyed for so many years and um, you know, uh, life changes a little bit and this is kind of where I'm at right now. I uh, I'm also on Instagram and just name Bob Liggett. Real interesting there. Uh, and Facebook. My website is down for the moment. And so uh, because I'm kind of rethinking things kind of in a bit of a transition period here. Uh, but the best way to, to get a hold of me would be through Instagram or Facebook. Uh, for so I, I still involved with uh, training, with coaching people, uh, executive coaching, personal development coaching, or like I said earlier, at the gym. I, I still train a lot of people at the gym and get a great deal of uh, satisfaction from that as well. So the, the, those would be the best ways. Fantastic. Bob and Tara, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. And once again, Tara and Bob, thank you so much. Thank you, Christian. Thanks, Christian. I enjoyed it. Tara, good to connect again. Always, Bob, for sure.